Amen. It says that uh, the Bible says they will see your good works and praise our Father in heaven. Well, each year we highlight our ministry to the community called Neighbor Connections. And if you're not familiar with Neighbor Connections, its mission is to help restore the physical, emotional, social, and spiritual uh, brokenness in our community. And, you know, one of the ways um, we do that is just, again, continuing to engage them in many different ways. You know, it's common for people to just address the physical needs because it's easy to see. And if you have the resources, it's pretty easy to address. But we believe that it's crucial for us to deal with all aspects. You know, sometimes the emotional brokenness of a person uh, is so much more linked to poverty than it is their physical needs. And we do this primarily because it's very clear what Jesus says about the local church's role uh, with regards to people in need. You know, Jesus says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. For this is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. So one part of loving God is loving our neighbor. And Neighbor Connections is about connecting with people and then helping them connect with God. And the way we accomplish this is through the different ministries that we have here at Rexdale. Whether it be the Living Water Food Pantry, the Lunchroom, um, Hunger for Healing, the uh, Community Women's Bible Study, uh, that would be the uh, Family Hair Day, uh, and Tandridge Connections and its different ministries. Again, if you're not familiar with Tandridge, it's a, a housing community about a kilometer and a half away from here, about southwest of here. And... Uh, Primarily made up a lot of uh, single mothers, and we have a lot of ministries on site that seeks to address some of the problems that they have. And all these ministries are listed in the, on the insert uh, that's found in your bulletin, so it gets you more familiar with that. As you saw on the video, uh, God is at work. And I'm so thankful to all of you uh, for uh, how you have given so sacrificially and for using your time and talents and gifts to serve the community in Jesus' name. And so if you serve in one capacity or another, in neighbor connections and tandridge connections through those different ministries, if you could just stand, uh, please. Thank you so much, Ed. We really appreciate your ministry uh, among us and uh, in our community. And really, uh, it's my privilege to serve with you. And again, you're really the story behind this ministry. And speaking of stories, you know, I love uh, reading books and watching movies about uh, true stories that have happy endings. Now, who doesn't want that, right? Now, uh, the story could have lots of trials and tribulations, you know, in the beginning, but it has to end with a happy ending. And, you know, I I met my wife um, in San Bernardino, California, uh, the International School of Theology. She's from Buffalo. I was coming from Edmonton, and we met there. And uh, one of our first dates, actually our first date, was to watch a movie uh, with a group of people. It was a Disney movie called um, uh, The Man from Snowy River. I'm not sure if you remember that. Actually, I said another movie last night, and my wife corrected me. That's not the movie. (laughs) Does that ever happen to you? (laughs) And, um, you know, I don't even remember. I don't even remember how the story ended. I was so much in love. But... I know that, you know, this coming May will be 20 years 
that we've been married. So it's safe to assume that that day had a happy ending. So, um, so I love happy endings. However, uh, the life stories that our leaders and volunteers hear and deal with uh, with regard to our different ministries to the community is far from a happy ending type. Um, you know, usually these stories are just full of tragedy and grief and, and sadness. And sometimes they're punctuated with some happiness, if even that. You know, for example, about a month ago, uh, a man we've known for about seven years uh, through the food pantry had uh, just gotten out of jail. He went to jail because he had assaulted a couple of people in his uh, apartment building. And so he's coming out of jail. He had no money and no place to live. And so he was actually living uh, in the uh, stairwell of the senior's home in, uh, at Kipling Avenue uh, for the whole month of uh, January because it was cold. And so here he is. You know, he still doesn't have any money. He couldn't get a job because of his record. And so he's appealing to us. And, you know, he's found a place to live just across the church from here. $400 a month. That's one little room. Uh, it says it's furnished, right? There's a mattress on the floor. Now, it comes with two furry roommates. And uh, that's, you know, added bonus. And, um, you know, he says, I don't even have $400 to pay for this. And so, you know, we're dealing with not only that complex problem, you know, we could give him $400, but what about the month after that? And the month after that, he'd be out in the street again. We just delayed the inevitable for one month. And so he said, you know, I'd rather be in jail or dead. How do you respond to that? Um, You know, Rupin and the volunteers with their Tanjish ministry, they're working with young girls, you know, 13, 14. And you know, their biggest fear is that they're going to get pregnant. And again, that continues the cycle of poverty in that community. And we often work with people with addictions. And um, we're working with a woman who was so curious how her husband, who's now in jail too, um, got addicted to crack. And so she tried it. And she just took one time, and she became addicted to crack. Now, you know, I, I just remember a couple of years ago, I went to go follow up a couple of guys. I was supposed to start a Bible study with them there. And there she was with these guys smoking crack. And as a result, she lost the custody of her two children, the children's aid. And so she goes from job to job, couch to couch, and sometimes even sells her body so she could get the next fix. We're ministering to people who struggle with mental illness. You know, how do you deal with that? Uh, single moms fighting to take good care of their kids. Children who are going to bed hungry. People losing their jobs. And there, you know, just to be honest, there are many times, because I don't know what to do, I just want to bury my head in my hands and say, Lord, I do not know what to do. You know, I mean, we're limited to what we can give them. We're limited to what we can do. And I ask, Lord, how, as, we, as a church, how do we respond to this, to the devastation that is around us, to the brokenness and misery? And so the question for us today is that, is just that. How do we help restore the many broken lives in our community that we encounter? If Jesus, you know, we just celebrate Easter last week, right? And Jesus rose from the dead. And if Jesus rose from the dead... Where is the power uh, for us to live the daily life and to face some of these obstacles in our community? So for the solution, we need to go to 
God's word and to find the same answer to a complex question. Let's take a look at the book of Joel. And um, there I see that you know, Joel is one of the minor prophets. And very little is known about Joel. Uh, he was sent by God to Judah about 2,700 years ago. And um, it was a time of distinct crisis, uh, three distinct crises for Judah. It was, uh, they were experiencing a famine-producing uh, drought, a locust invasion, and as a result, also a devastation of their community life. So let's pick it up from starting from verse 2. Hear this, you elders. Listen, all you who live in the land. Has anything like this ever happened in your days or in the days of your forefathers? Tell it to your children and let your children tell it to their children and their children to the next generation. So, you know, he's saying, tell it to the next generation and the next generation. So it's very apt for us to be listening to this so that we learn from it. Verse 4, what the locust swarm has left, the great locust have eaten. What the great locust have left, the young locust have eaten. What the young locust have left, other locusts have eaten. Now, if you have young teenage boys in your home, you'll know what I'm talking about. <laughs> it has laid waste. My vines ruined my fig trees. It has stripped off their bark and thrown it away, leaving their branches white. Grain offerings and drink offerings are cut off from the house of the Lord. The fields are ruined, the ground is dried up, the grain is destroyed, the new wine is dried up, the oil fails. These are very basic needs of a community. It's gotten so bad that they didn't even have enough grain to have a grain offering in the temple. It's like, well, we didn't have enough you know, offering last week, so we can't have a service today. And it's hard for us to even imagine this type of devastation in our technological society. But we're getting more and more of that in these recent days. You know, we know what's going on in Afghanistan and Iraq. We know what's going on in Haiti and in Chile and many other places. Now, I've never been uh, through a drought or a locust invasion, but I remember when I was seven years old, uh, a typhoon and a massive typhoon hit a province in uh, the Philippines. And um, I remember uh, my mom had taken us just under the stairs. Uh, the typhoon hit our house. Uh, our roof was blown right off. In fact, they found it in another town, and literally our house was destroyed. After, we went outside, and there are many other houses destroyed. Uh, the rice fields were littered with dead water buffaloes. Uh, trees uh, you know, were felled. Um, there was a lot of devastation. People were killed. And after that, the rain fell for many days. So not only were houses destroyed, but then we had a flood after that. And so with that flood came more devastation. And in fact, it got to the point where helicopters had to drop off food to us. And uh, everything was rationed. So that's the kind of devastation that uh, people could face. And then in verse 13, after describing some of this, Joel calls the people to call upon the Lord. It says in verse 13, Put on sackcloth, O priest, and mourn. Wail, you who minister before the altar. Come, come and spend the night in sackcloth. You who minister before my God, for the grain offerings and drink offerings are withheld from the house of God. Declare a holy fast. Call a sacred assembly. Summon the elders and all who live in the land and the house, uh, to the house of the Lord your God and cry out to the Lord. Alas for that day, for the day of the Lord is near. 
it will come like a destruction from the Almighty. And then in chapter 2, Joel again describes this locust invasion, but this time he describes it as an army and uh, with chariots and soldiers and um, with horses. And picking up in verse 11, says the Lord in chapter 2, the Lord thunders at the head of his army. He calls it, you know, this locust invasion as his army. His forces are beyond number, and mighty are those who obey his command. The days of the Lord is great, it is dreadful who can endure it. So over and over again, it talks about the day of the Lord, this day of judgment. Even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love, and he relents from sending calamity. The people of Judah repented, as we see in um, history, and God relented from his judgment, and God again answers them in verse 18, chapter 2. And the Lord will be jealous for his land and take pity on his people. And all that um, the worship team read, again, says, The Lord will reply to them, I am sending you grain, new wine and oil, enough to satisfy you fully. Never again will I make you an object of scorn to the nations. Then verse 25 I will repay you for the years the locusts have eaten, the great locust and the young locust, the other locust and the locust swarm, my great army that I sent among you. Then verse 27, Then you will know that I am in Israel, and that I am the Lord your God, and there is no other. Never again will my people be shamed. So even though God threatens destruction, He always allows opportunity for repentance and salvation at the 11th hour. God says if, he, if they rend their hearts, he will stop rending their land. And God's judgment is great, but his mercy is even greater. God fights us sometimes because he cares too much about us. Now after all of that, what does that mean? What does that mean for us individually and for our community in 2010? I mean, that was many, many years ago. Well, our community might not be devastated by a locust swarm or drought, but it's devastated with drugs and violence and poverty. And um, as we watch this devastation around us, God calls us, as he called Judah 2,700 years ago, to do two things. First of all, God calls us to lament, just like he called them to lament. In verse 5 of chapter 1, it says, Wake up, you drunkards, and weep. Wail, you who drink wine. Wail who, uh, because of the new wine, for it has been snatched from your lips. Despair, you farmers, in that verse 11. Wail, you vine growers. Grieve for the wheat and the barley, because the harvest of the field is destroyed. And in verse 17, Let the priest who minister before the Lord Weep between the temple porch and the altar. So first of all, the question is, what does it actually mean to lament? What does it mean to lament? Have you ever lamented before? A lament really is what happens when we are overcome with the presence of chaos and tragedy and despair and death. It's a prayer to call out for help coming out of pain and suffering. And you know, it's actually very common in the Bible. In fact, a third of the Psalms, about 50 or more, uh, are actually laments. They're Psalm of laments. 
Job is a book of lament. And the whole book, called Lamentations, is actually a people calling out to God through their suffering because, uh, and their despair because the temple of God was destroyed by the Babylonians. And in the New Testament, we see Jesus lamenting at the Garden of Gethsemane, again, from last week. And at the cross, when he cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you forsaken me? If you've noticed, all through the Gospels, Jesus addresses God as Father. This time he says, My God, my God. Because the sins of the world was upon him, and God seemed very distant. To lament is really to recognize that, uh, what our condition is, and that the condition of our community and our society. It's to agree with God that it's beyond our capacity to fix. It's to agree with God that we're not God. And it's true of our personal lives, and it's true of our community. You know, I once knew of um, a Jewish philosophy professor at the University of Guelph, and uh, I had a good relationship. He was uh, um, uh, one of those uh, you know, hard and fast humanists before. He believed that human beings had the solution to the problems of mankind, of humankind. And we didn't really need God. Well, you know, it, it took one event to change his mind, and that's when he slipped and fell just outside of the philosophy department building. And, you know, for half an hour, nobody helped him. While people just milled around, he cried out for help, and nobody helped him. And he changed his mind that day. He knew that he needed help beyond himself. So to begin with, laments are meant to get us talking directly to God. We are asked the heartfelt question like, how long, O oh Lord, will you utterly forget me? It's found in Psalm 13, which implies, Lord, I'm at the end of my rope, and I don't know what to do. I can't hold on any longer. Then in verse 10, uh, uh, Psalm 10, Why, O oh Lord, do you stand aloof? Why hide in times of distress? It's translated, Lord, I don't understand what's going on. This doesn't make sense to me. And often, God uses difficult situations in our lives to get our attention. You know, that's the main focus. They're designed to get our eyes off our problems and onto God. And Joel reminds us to look to God first. In fact, the very name Joel is actually a short form for Jehovah El, which is God is with us. God is with us. Again, every time, uh, you know, his mother called Joel, says, God is with us. What a great reminder. So the mystery of it is all, is in, again, in verse 27, I says, I am the Lord your God, there is no other. That the locust swarm came to remind them that they need to reach out to God. And the mystery of a lament is that God enters into our situation even though we don't know what the solution is. You see, if we don't turn to God in lament, uh, we usually respond in three different ways. One way, um, is, as Joel describes it, um, in chapter 1, he, he calls the drunkards, the farmers, and the priests to lament. Though, just why those individuals? Uh, why, why them? Well, it's because the drunkard stands for someone who just wants to forget about the problem. You know, they just kind of want to sweep it under the carpet and pretend it's not there. I'm okay, you know? Um, that's why they just drink it all the way. Sometimes, you know, we'll watch the news and... Uh, you know, we'll see the devastation in Haiti, and really, we just want to change the channel. 
Um, we see the calamity or the plights of the poor, and we, we want the problem to go away. So we just switch channels, if not physically, at least emotionally or mentally. The farmer stands for the person who'll just try to work his way out of the problem. And, you know, he'll write protest letters, uh, you know, and he'll, uh, you know, lift placards and, you know, and make phone calls. And these are good. I'm not saying they're not good. But they sidestep that all-important process of going to God first in lament. It's, you know, it's, it's really part of uh, making sure that we're talking to God first. And the priest, sometimes that could be uh, one way that we can try to just over-spiritualize the problem. Oh, God is doing something. I don't know what it is, but God's doing something. And again, it sidesteps the process of really uh, you know, wrestling with God about it. Either way, we become hardened and callous towards God and towards people. You know, I have to confess that after hearing many of the problems uh, of people in the community, I just get callous. <laughs> They're just trying to you know, snow me. Uh, that's really not happening. And that's not right. We think, God hasn't done anything for me, so how could he do something for someone else? And we eventually develop a theology of God not caring. And that is very dangerous. So for us uh, to lament about the condition of our city and to lament about our own condition is really to wrestle with God. Uh, Just like Jacob wrestled with God until he received a blessing. And Jacob means to grab the heel or really to deceive. And um, in fact, we have a guy who comes regularly and we've been helping him and... uh, you know, I found out, he, you know, he's lied to me before, and I said, you know, Jacob, do you know what your name means? It means to grab the heels, to deceive. And so don't live up to your name. And he says, uh, that's why God changed Jacob's name. He always, um, he's, he's always, uh, Jacob has always tried to deceive his way out of his problems through manipulation. And in the end, God gave Jacob the blessing. He wouldn't let go, so he he gave him the blessing, but God did something else. He touched his hip and dislocated it. And you know, after that, Jacob always walked with a limp. And it was a continual reminder for Jacob of that experience with God. And in a similar way, that's what happens to us, that in fact, the limp is the blessing. It's a continual reminder to God. Of, to us, of that experience. Because really, the mystery of lament is that that's where we're supposed to be, wrestling with these problems, with this destruction and calamity with God. Because in the end, it's trusting God that He has a solution. And that's why we gather every Tuesday morning uh, with, uh, with neighbor connections in our ministry to pray. We acknowledge that unless God does something, we're in trouble that there is no hope for this community or the world. So please join us in taking on and talking to God uh, about the brokenness and the chaos in our community. Um, we need your help. So please pray. We have a new program that's starting, uh, again, to mentor these teenage girls in Tandridge to help them make wise choices, to help them to see uh, God in their midst. Uh, for the, some of the special events that we're having, we have, our, again, our Canada outreach that's coming up soon. Rupin mentioned on the video about uh, our kind of our summer Olympics there in, in Tandridge. 
we need, again, more volunteers. Uh, we had to stop our ESL program just because uh, we didn't have enough volunteers for that. Our kids' club ministry also had to stop because um, we didn't have enough volunteers. But actually, I found out last night, you know, again, this is an answer to prayer. A uh, couple who, was, who were, um, they were helping uh, with the kids' club ministry before, and uh, they said, you know what, uh, we, we want to help and to get that started again. So praise God for that. Pray for the Watsons and for uh, Peter and Karen, uh, John, who are uh, seeking to launch a South Church in Cambridge. You know, as they've lamented over the, uh, the plight of the people in Tandridge, God spoke to them. And uh, this is one of the things that they uh, saw as a need there, is to actually gather to people together as a community to praise God, to listen to God's word, and to get together in prayer. So pray for that. Pray for Peter Scott as he uh, continues to share God's word. I mean, we have like a midweek service happening every Tuesday in the lunchroom. There's between 75 to 100 people that come and hear God's word uh, through Peter as they're being served, you know, as they're waiting for their food orders or the food pantry, as they're waiting to get their haircuts, as they're waiting to get clothes from the clothing closet. And again, you know, it's not just Peter, but the, our many volunteers are all working together, uh, contending as one man for the gospel, it says. So pray for them. I pray for Don Dearlove as he does that on Saturday, and again with our many volunteers as well. I pray that God will use his word to transform people. So these are just some of the things uh, to pray for. There's many others. So you could sign up. Uh, there's a place to sign up for you to pray regularly for uh, neighbor connections and tandridge connections in the back uh, at the display desk. And often as I lament over the condition of our community and, um, and the world, God will often reveal something about myself. And that actually lends to uh, my second point, in that God calls us to sound the alarm. God calls us to sound the alarm. Uh, chapter 1, of verse, uh, uh, sorry, verse 1 of chapter 2, Blow the trumpet in Zion. Sound the alarm on my holy hill. Let all who live in the land tremble. For the day of the Lord is coming. It is close at hand. Blow the trumpet in Zion in verse uh, 15. Declare a holy fast. Call a sacred assembly. What does it mean to sound the alarm? Well, usually when alarm is sounded in a community, it's really a signal to all get together at one designated place where they will receive the information of what their emergency is and then a course of action after that. Uh, during World War II, alarms were sound in Britain and you know, they, they would tell them that there's an, uh, a new uh, air raid, bombing raid from Germany and they would all go to their bomb shelters. That's what they had to do. In Joel's day, the call was a call, the sounding the alarm was a call to repent. Joel was telling us that the proper response to calamity and devastation is repentance. Again, you know, as Pastor Sinder told us last week, to repent is to change your mind, which results in a changed attitude and action. Not just changing your mind for the sake of believing it, but there's a change of attitude and action. God calls us to stop going our own way and to go His way, to return to Him with all of our hearts. He calls us to rend our hearts to wring it out, not our garments. You know, again, the question is, when have you lamented for the plight of the poor? And so if our hearts are not moved with 
the devastation and the condition of our world around us, whether it be in Tanridge, in Rexdale, in Haiti, or in Afghanistan, then we need to repent. And that's why it's important to really lament first, to allow the emotion to hit you. A disciple of Jesus is called to tears, to shed tears. Uh, It's been said that um, we can see Jesus better through the lens of tears. And then we can also see both our condition better and the condition of the world. You see, Judah's problem was not necessarily just a calamity or devastation problem. It was a heart problem. Poverty is not really just a resource problem. It's a heart problem. Violence is not just a gun problem. It's a heart problem. Poverty um, and all, the, all those uh, other things, they're, in the end, a heart problem. And that's why when we work with people, we just don't deal with the physical need but we deal with the heart. Because unless the heart changes, no matter uh, what social assistance uh, we're able to give them, which is many times limited, it will not change. I remember a guy, um, and I've shared this story before, I, I met, I was you know, trying to talk to him about God, his name was Mark, and um, uh, as in the process of talking, uh, he said, well, I don't really believe that uh, there's sin in the world. And so uh, I said, oh, Really? Uh, says, well, so I, I gave this kind of hypothetical uh, problem. And I said, Mark, do you have a sister? And he said, yeah, I have a sister. He goes to Jesus University. And so I said, so, Mark, what if your sister was going home and she was uh, attacked by some strangers, she was raped, and she was left for dead? Um, what would you think of that? And Mark, without skipping a beat, trying to hold on to his conviction, said, oh, they were just doing what was right in their own eyes. Come on, Mark. And he said, no, really. And, you know, Mark had just sat down, so he had just put his jacket, there was a nice leather jacket, and I, so, uh, I mean, it was an instant uh, kind of reaction. I grabbed his jacket and started walking away. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, I counted probably about five seconds, and he just stopped me, grabbed me by the shoulders, and says, what are you doing? And I said, oh, Mark, I liked your jacket, so I thought I'd take it. And he said, you can't do that. That's wrong. And the instance he said that, he knew that he wasn't living consistently to his conviction. It's a hard problem. And if we don't repent, Joel warns us that the day of the Lord is coming and the one who does not turn from his sin will, will not be able to endure it. See, a future judgment is coming. And, you know, locusts and drought, that's nothing compared to that future judgment. So God is warning us now. And so, Joel says, you know, fast, call upon the Lord. And what does fasting mean to us today? Well, Isaiah 58 gives us a a good indication of that. He says, this is the kind of fasting I have chosen, to loose the chains of injustice and to untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free, to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter. That's the kind of fasting that God is calling us to. As we rend our hearts, as we repent from that, from sometimes our hardened hearts, our calloused hearts, to our uncaring hearts. That's what the kind of fasting he wants us to do. So today is really, again, an invitation for all of us to join in that type of Isaiah 58 fasting. And again, 
It's a call for us to act and respond after we've turned to God. And there are, again, many ways for you to be involved. And you can sign up in the back uh, for different ways. You can be involved. Uh, again, uh, I've just shared some of these opportunities. And then in the end, in the end, when we've done these things, we've lamented and we've repented, God promises to restore us and to pour out His Spirit. He says, when we lament and we sound the alarm in repentance, not only does God promise to send new grain and new wine and oil, enough to satisfy us fully, he says this. In verse 28 of chapter 2, And afterward I will pour out my Spirit on all people. And your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my Spirit in those days. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's the byproduct right there. That the Spirit of God will be poured out on us first and then then to the people around us. If there is ever, quote, a recipe for uh, community transformation, it is this. We need to lament and we need to repent. You know, and there's already a great outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost upon the church, and it was, the church was born. And today, God continues to pour out His Spirit and to redeem what the locusts have eaten. You know, and again, as you saw in the video, in 2009, we saw a 50% increase of the number of people we served in the community. We went from serving uh, 1,200 people in the food bank to 2,100 people. And uh, so the needs were great, but now God has blessed us. You know, we're able to help 10 other food banks and other food banks in the GTA uh, through these partnerships that you saw. God also supplied uh, through you, uh, you know, the $50,000 uh, to help them. And that is just on top of the, you know, the non-perishable food items that you bring. And praise God for that. Uh, this year, uh, my prayer goal is that God would raise up $60,000 to just, again, uh, put a dent in, um, in the poverty in our community. And again, you saw William on the video. We were seeing more and more people being changed, you know, coming to Christ. Uh, he came to, uh, from uh, the food pantry. He went to Alpha. Uh, that was just this September. From Alpha, he gave his life to Christ, and he was baptized here a few weeks ago. And we're seeing more and more of that, and to God be the glory. And, you know, uh, four or five uh, women uh, in, uh, uh, who, are, who were helping through the food pantry and through the different ministries, um, I've been so grateful. Uh, one of them you saw in the video that she's now wanting to give back to the church. So every Wednesday, four or five women clean the church. They, you know, they wash the windows, they clean the tables because they're just so grateful for what God is doing in their lives. Uh, we're helping many uh, to find jobs. I just got a call this uh, past Tuesday and you know, it was a guy named Jerry. He says, oh, thank you so much. You helped him buy work boots because he can't, you know, he couldn't go and buy steel-toed boots, and he didn't have the boots, he couldn't get a job. And he also needed to get to the job, so we helped him with some bus tokens. And so he just called, and he was just saying, thank you so much, I'm now back with my union, I'm working, and I'm just going to be working my way out of that problem. But we've had that discussion with him about where that actually ultimately came from, was from God. And even when our World Vision Grant ended uh, last September, again, God provided through you. And so we're able to maintain our tangents programs. And Rupin is now at 90% of his monthly support. So praise God for that. Um, two residents, again, two of them you saw on the video, 
uh, few residents from Tandridge are now part of our Tandridge Connections leadership team. They are now making plans and uh, working with us uh, for the good of the community. So before, we were bringing in all the programs there, but now they're deciding with us. And that's the next level. Uh, many, many people are connecting with God. We had to um, kind of shuttle people from Tangers to come to their Easter program. I think there were 14, 15 people, and about 50 people from our um, um, food pantry ministry to the Easter program. And again, they were just so grateful. So that's just a little glimpse of what God is doing as he pours out his spirit on us as well. Well, to just end, you know, I, I talked a lot about the community and the needs of the community and the devastation that's there. But you might be here today and you're experiencing your own devastation. And maybe, just maybe, you know, you, you've experienced a drought in your life, whether it be emotionally, whether it be materially, uh, whether it be physically. And then not only is there a drought, but then the locusts have come. And, you know, what the locust swarm has come, then these young locusts have come and eaten up. What was left over, then even more locusts have come. Do you ever feel like that? You know, you get one problem after another and after another. And then you cry, where is God in all of this? But don't forget that promise. Don't forget the promise that God restores all that the locusts have eaten. And again, it's all about getting back to God. Because God is the God of the irreversible. You know, the man with the withered hand, God, Jesus restored that hand. You know, the, the man who was blind from birth, God gave him back his sight. The man who was dead, Lazarus, he brought him back to life. God is the God of irreversibles. He can reverse those things in your life. He can restore all the locusts of Eden. And the prayer counselor is going to be after the service. And I want to encourage you, if that's happening in your life and you need uh, a reminder, a reminder that God restores what the locusts have eaten, come and have them pray for you. To end, it says, the Lord said, you know, it's not Joel just saying it, the Lord said, I will repay the years that the locusts have eaten. It says, then, then you will know that I am the Lord. And there is no other. Thank you. For my um, benediction today, uh, I just want to bless you. You know, there's one, there might be one aspect of your life that you feel like, you know, the locusts have eaten. And nobody else knows about it. But God knows about it. So may the Holy Spirit come and touch that part of your life and bring blessing to it through the Spirit's power. Go in Jesus' name. Amen.